everyone, this is Devin Townsend, and you are listening to Interview Under Fire. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to a brand new episode of Interview Under Fire. This is your host, Sonny, along with Devin Townsend. Quite the honor. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today on IUF. Now, in case there are any listeners out there who don't know about my guest today, aside <laughs> from being a music producer and rocking the skullet for a good amount in his career, he is most likely known for fronting the heavy metal band Strapping Young Lad for 13 years, as well as playing in a handful of other amazing bands such as Bent C, Revolution Harmony, Casualties of Cool, Punky Brewster, Ocean Machine, Gray Sky, Steve Vai, and of course, Devin Townsend Band, Devin Townsend Project, and that includes his solo project. Hopefully, I didn't leave anything off that remarkable list right there. Now, (laughs) Now, for me personally, this is a big deal because I would not be where I am today without his work. And Devin was very instrumental in forming my taste of music as well as many, many other people, and it shows how massive his influence was. Now, before we get to all that and beyond, Devin, I'm going to ask you a very important question in light of everything that has happened in the world lately. How are you? <laughs> I think it's a very important question to ask, man. <laughs> How are you, man? I'm good because I choose to be. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because I think that we're all having to deal with with uh, an unprecedented situation that is psychologically uh, and emotionally very taxing on all of us, no matter what your beliefs are, no matter what side of the political fence you're on, no matter what uh, your trip is, we're all human beings and we're all having to deal with this. And there's no way to to uh, downplay how difficult it has been on society in general. And it's very easy. And I see a lot of friends of mine, uh, you know, the suicide rates are up and I see a lot of friends of mine that struggle. And like you, I'm sure you have the days where you struggle as well as I do, of course, oh, yeah. but the tenacity that, that really needs to come into play in order for us to not only get through this, but to uh, be beacons for the, for our families in a lot of ways, because I saw something the other day that really uh, uh, summarized it. You know, if you hit a tuning fork, then all the other tuning forks around it, if there are, are going to vibrate, in a similar way, right? So I think that you just have to make sure that you're keeping yourself psychologically balanced for the sake of those that you care about and your audience and everything else, right? So I'm doing well because I choose to. And, you know, making the best of the situation is easier said than done, like we talked about before the interview started. Now, you know, Devin, being away from the stage a lot as of late, I know live presences make makes what who you are. You know, how are you keeping up your vocals and guitar chops these days? Is that affecting your musicianship? Is anything changed for your routine wise lately if at all well i mean uh i am fortunate that i have a a, like a a modest but well uh like a comprehensive studio that i've been sort of uh investing in and working towards for for my entire career so i have been functional since the day after i got back on tour so when i got home last show was in houston and we had to we had to cancel the tour and I came home and I had a flu. So I had to isolate. And then they, they brought me in for a a test like straight out of the gate. So I couldn't go home for a couple of weeks. And so I, once I, once I came back that it was negative, I just got back uh, home and started immediately trying to pivot the career. So, 
in terms of trying to do streaming and trying to uh, concerts from the house. Uh, and I started writing like just a huge amount of material. And now I'm, I'm about a month and a half away from finishing a, a record that, or a project more so than a record that is really, really intense. And I'm very proud of it. So my, my routine has changed in that I'm not traveling, but uh, I sing every day. I play every day. I produce. I, I, it's, dude, it's, it's from morning to night. I'm so fortunate to have this job that, that I want to make sure that when all is said and done, I still have it as yeah. opposed to, you know, just, just taking this situation and doing nothing. Like I've been working since minute one. You know, and now we're almost nearly a re removed from a whole year of the live experience. You know, has this pandemic, you know, now that we're home, now that you're saying you're busy doing, doing the things that you're doing, has it opened up new things for you personally and artistically that you may have not noticed before about yourself? Because I know you did uh, something that kicked off last April is the Devin Townsend podcast, which you mm -hmm. talk about the records that you've, you know, created throughout your career. I know you started something like that as well. Yeah, that that was something that I did. But these, these are one thing that uh, has been underlined as a result of this. And it's something that I, I feel I, I have been aware of. And if I hadn't constantly remembered, I keep trying to remind myself of is that it's a two way street as a musician. And if you look at the engine of music, it's half of it is the people who make the music and half of it is the people who support it, you know, and it's like, you're part of a team in a lot of ways. And the live form is your opportunity to, to make that tangible, to bring it into reality. But as a result of not being able to do that, it was important for me to let the audience know that I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's huge for me that there's an audience, that there is an audience so the podcast and all these other things that I had done are more just wanting to say, hey, listen, I, 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 I respect your involvement and it's, it's huge for me to be able to have this. So here's what I can do. But my, my primary function is always going to be to write. So all those things that I've done, uh, the, the, the streaming concerts or the charity concerts or the, or the podcasts or the Twitch streams, are more to say, uh, you know, we got to keep this together. We have to keep this this relationship, like any relationship, uh, maintained. Uh, but I don't think of those things as being like uh, a new revenue stream or a new type of work for me, because none of those things are really where my heart's at. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm as much as I like doing the streaming concerts, I'd rather play a concert. As much as I uh, appreciate being able to have an audience to do a podcast for, I'd much rather make records rather than, than talk about them. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's the thing that this um, pandemic has made me realize is that in order to get through this, you have to change the way you think. And uh, so it's, it's one doesn't exist without the other, you know, in, in order for me to make music, I need to support the people that allow me to make music. And so it's, it's been more of a reshuffling rather than a, a paradigm shift in terms of, Oh, now I really want to do podcasting. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I, I kind of don't, but, um, but it, everything has to play ball in order for us to get through this. And, and I'm so aware now 
more than ever, I'm so grateful for the audience because I think I hadn't realized until this how there are like professional audience members, if that makes sense. As, as much as I'm a professional musician, I've been talking to people and they're like, what we do is we support artists. We buy the shirts. We go to the streaming concerts. We have the posters. We, we are on the, on the ground when you, people come to town and all this stuff. And I, I, it's like, man, you're, you're, you can't do it without these people. You know, it's like, so everybody just has to be aware of their role in this and just do their best to, to, to participate in the role that we've chosen. Right. And sp- and speaking of not being able to do it without the people and the audience, you know, Devin, you've been at this for three decades and whether it's with Strapping Young Lad, whether it's with Devin Townsend Project or any of your other work that you've done throughout your career, how was mm. the touring life for you personally? Because you've done some extensive touring throughout your career. You played at Summer Breeze, Hellfest, uh, Tusca Open Air, mm. Download Festival, Vakken, you know, mm. and now we're all kind of just taking like an unexpected step back. And does it make you have a growing appreciation of the touring life? Because we're talking culture, fans, even the food. There's just so many things to pick apart about what makes touring amazing. What was your biggest takeaway from that life? Which you will return to. It's a good question. It's a good question and one that I just need to think about for a minute because one misconception, of course, is that touring is effortless. There's maybe that was perpetuated by rat videos in the 80s or something where you know or bon jovi videos where everybody's on fancy tour buses and wearing cowboy boots and you know oh, yeah. and <laughs> staring at the sunset while women in booze and all this sort of thing when the realities of touring as a prog metal band in in 2020 has a lot more to do with sitting in the backseat of a van for seven hours through the roads of romania with a crazy driver you know i mean it's like so that part of it i don't miss the you know the oh my god tonight we're dying kind of feeling while you're in a a vehicle like I don't miss that and I don't miss airports and I don't miss uh you know middle seats in economy class for 15 hours to Australia boy (laughs) but what those things as much as I'm making light of you know how much of a pain in the ass that part of it is without that to juxtapose the amazing experiences those amazing experiences, you'll never reach that high without the juxtaposition of that. And so when I think back to some of the incredible experiences that I've had on tour, like, you know, really big shows and, and the appreciation of the audience and people that will come and wait and like people will come to like, there was a group of people that would go to every show that we did in Europe, you know, like every night they were there. And I'm thinking, at least we're in a van, you know, at least we're in a van. So I think about me bitching and complaining about um, those sorts of things. I'm thinking these people are like driving themselves and every night they were like front row and wow. they're buying the shirts and all this. Stuff. And I would say, Hey, just take a shirt, dude. Like, 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 what do you want? Like go to the merch stand and take whatever you want. But they're like, like, I no, saw no, you no. last night. Right. Well, that's it. It's like, well, we support you. So we want to pay for it. And I'm, it's, it's like, so those experiences uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is for the downs that you have, the ups are so are so up that I remember those. Um, I 
struggle with, uh, you know, trying to keep my health together when I'm away for whatever reason, like, I don't know what my constitution is, maybe poor, maybe I just shake hands a lot or whatever, but I always seem to be sick. Maybe I just pick my nose too much. Right. But it's like, but I'm always sick on tour. And so I stress about my voice because I, there's nothing worse than, you know, people are like, Hey, we traveled nine hours to see the show. And I'm like, yeah. And I sound like Marge Simpson tonight. You know, this sucks. <laughs> so I don't miss the anxiety of not being able to perform at my best. Um, I miss the constant motion of it. Um, but I don't miss leaving my family at home. You know, there's, there's all these, right. there's all these of sort of ups and downs about it. The thing that I, I sheepishly admit to missing the most is the food. And that that's that's fair. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine because I, I think so. I mean Okay. I mean it I'm, doesn't look downplay at, any look other at what thing. I've look at what I listed for you so far. Like just everything sure. you've done throughout your career. I mean, is there okay, now I gotta ask, is there no, a restaurant that that uh just comes <laughs> at the top of your head when I ask you? Devin, I went to a I went go. to a wedding. I went to a, a wedding in India over the course of maybe three weeks and uh i played a couple of shows i played a show in mumbai and i played a show in delhi and just acoustic right yeah but the food there was one of those experiences that scarred me because it was so good it made things everything past that point <laughs> pale in comparison it actually solved a lot for me it's almost like if you have an experience that's so like meets your expectations, meets your fantasies. It's like, then that fantasy doesn't exist anymore. You're just like, well, that's the pinnacle. And so from there, it was much easier just to eat stew because I'm like, I'm like, well, it's not going to be that. So I'll take whatever we got. Right. But that was the one I remember in Portland one night, there was a venue that we had played several times in Portland and in the parking lot was a Mexican restaurant and it was run by a family. And it was so good that it like it made me teary. And I remember walking up to the lady who was behind the counter and she was an older lady that was doing the cooking. And I was like almost crying. I was like, that was so good. And she just looked at me like I was insane. There was no like, there was no like, oh, that's really sweet that you feel that way. You're like, oh, she's like, oh, it's a crazy person in the restaurant. You need to leave now. Right? <laughs> that's Devin Townsend. But, like, that's a whole different world. I mean, I mean, do you remember the name of this restaurant? I mean, shout out no, to that I, restaurant, whatever it was. I don't. I mean, I'm terrible with the places that we play. I, I, I was always the guy that when we toured, like, I could play a place a dozen times and I'm the only one that doesn't remember it. Everybody's like, Oh yeah, around the corner, there's a Starbucks and there's a, there's a washer and a dryer in the basement. And you know, it's got that one bit, you know, and I'm like, I don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of it. The, for example, the only thing I remember about trees is there was a pole in the middle of the, <laughs> yeah, a couple you know of them I mean? actually. There's one, there's one that's like smack dab in the right in the middle. I'm like, why is that there? Like, I don't remember. Playing. Like, <laughs> people are gonna mosh. And yes, I mean, if anyone's wondering, people have smashed their heads into that into that. I, I I think I maybe did too. I mean, it's like I think that so so my memory is really poor for touring, really poor for touring. And and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I my glasses, I need my glasses to see. So when I get on stage. If I wear my glasses, it's not for any aesthetic reasons as much as that seems like it would be the case. It's just that when I sweat, my glasses just keep going <laughs> yeah, further and further here. down my nose. <laughs> so by the time I'm one song in, I'm like 
just just barely balancing them on the tip of my nose so so I don't wear them and as a result of not wearing them I just I can't see anything man that makes you know? sense now every time I look at you on stage you're always looking around like huh where is it? I can't see anything there it makes go. it easier in a sense too like if you ever have a night where you're feeling trepidation about being uh um you know uh public yeah which you know sometimes I am it's like I kind of run the gamut between extrovert and introvert. So maybe again, that explains why this, this whole lockdown pandemic, whatever we're going to call it. Uh, I've been as okay with it as one can be because after touring for 30 years, as much as there is incredible experiences, my threshold for stimulus is really low. Hmm. So I've had so much stimulus for so long that uh, it shuts me down and has shut me down in the past. And so having some time to be away from it has made me appreciate it in ways that perhaps the past couple of years, I've, I've been a little flippant about it because of the amount of traveling we've had to do. So, you know, it's checks and balances, right? I'll tell you what, when you come back to trees, there's this taco shop that's like down the street. So I'll make sure we get there. So you'll actually well, have I, something. <laughs> I love it. And you know, what's funny is I also remember the opposite end of the spectrum. I remember the bad, uh, there was, there was a place that we used to play in Poughkeepsie for years called uh, the chance. And mm. it was not in a sketchy area, but it wasn't in the best area. Right. And uh, there was a Mexican restaurant that we ate beside there. I don't know if it was Mexican, but there was, and, we all got so sick, like so sick. And I remember while I was eating, thinking to myself, like, hmm, something about this. Just my intuition is telling me, my spider senses are saying this is this is not going to be in you for that long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, man, we could go on forever as far as like the tour stories, like places that you visited and the food. I mean, that's that's a whole different episode. We'll set up for next time. Sure, but, you know, sure, of course. You know, a very popular topic on the show, and uh, I think you set it up perfectly, and you've seen this for the last, what, eight, nine months is live streaming. A lot of the bands, what they've been doing on stage, they're taking it on the screen. And before I get to your quarantine concerts, which I want to ask you about, which is amazing stuff that you did back in April Thank and May. You. Yeah. You think, you know, a lot of these bands, you know, like Code Orange, Lamb of God, you know, August Burns Red. I went to Metallica like uh, this past summer. They did one on the weekend. You know, Dallas, Texas sold out. We went and saw that. Uh, Behemoth did one, but the reason why I'm mentioning all these bands is with all the experience that you've taken in throughout your career, Devin, and all these you know, just the fans and the bands that you played with, the collaborations you've done. Do you think the quarantine-induced live streaming surge we're seeing right now from all these artists is that going to affect the touring musician business going forward through your perspective? Like, do you still see bands doing this even after all this is over? <laughs> Another good question. I mean, I think there will always be a live scene, but the world, regardless of whether or not we want to admit it, will will have changed, even in subtle ways after this, that will directly affect certain bands' abilities to do this. And I think a lot of that, it's like, what it depends on what echelon you tour in, right? Um, mm -hmm. The Metallicas or Lamb of Gods or, or uh, Disturbed or, or the bands that are kind of functioning at that level uh, will always be able to continue doing this because the, the profit margin for them is still there for the people involved. So <laughs> for the promoters, for the caterers, for the security, for the venues, you know, uh, there's, there's a profit margin with a band of that level that is sustainable. Uh, 
However, where it's really going to impact is in the middle, I think. I may be wrong, but where the cost of the visas will go up, the cost of diesel will go up, the cost of um, the visas for if you have, for example, with myself, and of course I'll be able to tour. I, I, I even if I just do acoustic, I can I can tour, and and it's important for me to do so. But for years I have worked with uh, a predominantly British crew, and just how the UK has been moving in terms of Brexit and in terms of things that are beyond my my understanding. But in talking to the crew, they're just like, okay, well the the cost of visas for a UK crew to, to play in, in right. Europe or, or whatever. And these are things that a lot of times uh, don't get factored into it. Or um, if you, and a lot of, I'm speaking out my ass in a lot of ways here, but I, I at least I'm able to, to summarize it in, in a vague way that is accurate. When we play in France, for example, there's a withholding tax for, um, for acts who are not from, France and I, I forget what it is. It's like thirty percent or something, okay. and then the um, the the merchandise. Say you're getting a twenty percent cut at each one of your venues, plus when you have the visa, then all of a sudden diesel goes up, and then because of this, the amount of venues that have gone broke and no longer exist, all of a sudden makes the pool of available venues for the bands that are able to tour so much that it becomes competitive. So they, I have been agreeing to do tours from as far back now as September of 2020. And the reason why I keep agreeing and then canceling and agreeing and canceling is not because we have any sort of pie in the sky hopes of, oh, all of a sudden we'll be able to tour. It's just in the event that we're now able to tour for whatever reason, there's gonna be a huge amount of bands who are dependent on touring income to sustain the crew and the families and the merchandise company and the management and the label and all these people on the, you know, everything that everybody is booking tours constantly right now, just so if, and when things get lifted, you've got a routing that makes sense. Right. But those routings with the venues that will close down will also be very difficult because then you'll be able, you won't be able to say, do the same circuit that you used to do. So there's like certain venues that work for certain size bands, right? And so if in each town, there used to be a place that would hold a thousand people, a thousand people here, 700 here, 1200 here, whatever it is. If a lot of those shut down, then all of a sudden you, your routing changes from, okay, so we're here, but now we can't go to Dallas next. Now we've got to go to Houston instead, which tax on more gas, which tax on more, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the, the, the realities of it past this point are going to be uh, not impossible, but it's going to take a lot of getting used to. And it's going to be the profit margin for that is going to make some bands say, Hey, it's not worth it. We can't afford to do this. So therefore, maybe they'll just continue to do streaming or maybe the bands will break up as we're seeing a lot of bands have broken up during this period too. Just because the realities of it are, are they become not only more expensive, but also more cutthroat too, right? You've got all these bands that are just saying, okay, as soon as this lifts, everybody's got mouths to feed. So let's get on tour, right? So I don't know, man, the, the long answer is that. And the short answer is, of course, there'll be live music. I mean, because uh, humans 
need it and and like it maybe not need but really do like it and and a lot of musicians uh uh love it as well right so yes but it's going to be weird right I mean, I mean, you put it perfectly. Of course, I have the liberty to mosh in my room if I wanted to. I mean, but how much longer can I do that? And that is, that is a very detailed answer. That is very informative, very detailed, and, and to the point. Like I love all the information that you actually put out. That was probably the most detailed answer I ever actually got from an artist, as far as that question is concerned. Because there's no writing or answer to it. You know, it was it was a good answer because some artists would say, "Yeah, it's a way for me to engage with the fans." Some artists would say, "Yeah, I'm not doing anything until all this is over." You know, but that was a very good way on putting it because a lot of things that don't, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people don't really consider just the little intangibles that you just talked about. Mm -hmm. And now this is really good information going forward. And especially, you know, we got a whole year ahead of us now to see where it leads. And I I have booked and canceled four tours since the pandemic. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or more. And it's not because we had any expectation of these things being possible but in the event that things become available to tour uh right there's only going to be a certain amount of venues and there's only and there's a ton of bands right so everybody just keeps booking 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 and then canceling 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 right and uh yeah exactly and i wanted to segue into the live streaming that you did you know during Mm -hmm. the months of april and may uh you did three quarantine shows last year in 2020 i can't believe i'm I'm even saying the words last year 2020 like it feels like we're in that same (laughs) timeline you know and uh during those three quarantine shows for my listeners who don't know uh you had benefit proceeds go to places like vancouver hospital foundation where you raised forty five thousand dollars national health service in the uk where you raised eighty one thousand dollars and north shore university hospital in new york and i don't think i have the figures for that um as far as how much about 50 wow uh, 50k you know Uh, what was that experience like for you personally setting up a quarantine show and then organizing something like this to go to you know businesses like well it wasn't only those three i've done six so far and the last one the the one we did at christmas 50 percent of the profits for that went to the food bank in the uk and it's like what's it like i mean Frankly, it's a pain in the ass. It's like, it's um, super weird. It's a ton of work because the thing with touring in a normal way, and when I say it's a pain in the ass, it doesn't mean that it's a pain in the ass, therefore I resent it. It's just like on a practical level, man, it's it's immense amounts of work because if you're on tour, you've got your show, <laughs> you got your set list, you got your crew, you got a momentum, and you go yeah. from night to night to night. And unless you're you're the type of folk that I would had uh, commented on earlier who are who are professional audience members and for lack of a better term who are following from venue to venue you can basically sort of get away with doing a similar show each night right but with these streaming ones a lot of the people that come to this are the same people it's the it's the people who are kind enough to support musicians during this time by saying listen no one really wants to watch a show from their bedroom, you know, as, as kitschy as it may be. And as, as, as much effort it goes into it, people may want to watch it, but chances are they'd rather go to a show. So if they're going to watch six shows, a lot of times they're doing it. So, so the artist can stay afloat, right? They're, they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart. So as a result of that, it's important to vary it. 
So you can't yeah. just be like, hey, here's the next show. It's the <laughs> same one, except not as good. You know what I mean? So I remember so watching I, the I, I remember watching the first. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I have to no, add. I, I remember watching the first quarantine video. The first, <laughs> I think, minute or two, you just looking off to your side, just seeing if it's working. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, oh my god. And the second <laughs> one wasn't. It was all out of sync, and I'm just like. But because we were in total lockdown and because I had to learn how to do it, I didn't know how to solve it. I'm like, dude, all this OBS, Streamlab, Twitch, it's like, oh, my God, man. But I, I mean, live and learn, right? I think that's that's the thing. And and so I, I, I tried to make every show different. But what that meant was learning new songs. And then I had to program all these songs because um, it's not necessarily common knowledge, but Years ago, I had a flood at my house and I lost all the master tapes for everything. So Ocean Machine doesn't exist and Infinity doesn't exist and Physicist doesn't exist and Terrier doesn't right. exist. It's all gone. So in order to recreate those songs in the, you know, a week between each one of these quarantine shows, I had to recreate all the samples and then program the drums and then try and figure it out. So it was really, really stressful and really, really challenging to do. Um, but uh, going back to the beginning of our conversation, it's like, uh, it's not lip service when I say I'm grateful to the audience for allowing me to, to do this. So it's no question that that's what you do. But you throw on top of that, you know, kids and a pandemic and social unrest and aging parents and financial concerns and all these things. And then in the meantime, I'm like, why is there a two second delay on this stupid program? <laughs> you know, we start in 40 minutes and I, you know, yeah. I, fortunately I don't have any hair to follow because dude, it would be gone, man. Like that was, <laughs> that was crazy, yeah. dude. like crazy. And the last one I did was December 23rd. And, and it take into consideration. So this Christmas, um, you know, that uh, I'm in British Columbia here in Canada and they had said, Hey, no social gatherings. So I know there's some people that, that flaunt that and they're just like, you know, we're, we're going to do what we want, but uh, that's not what we chose. I was like, listen, I want to get back on tour. I want this to be not happening anymore. So I'll stay home because everybody's in the different bubble, like the parents and the sisters and everybody, everybody's in a different group of people. So we chose. And so it's super grim, you know, it's like dark and raining and you're not getting together with the family and all this sort of stuff. And then I'm having to put together a Christmas show and I'm like, Merry Christmas. And I'm thinking to myself, like the day before I was like, man, I'm so depressed. <laughs> this is like, this is unreal. So on that one, it was less the technical side because we had gone through it and more just like, well, psychologically, how can you bolster yourself against this? So you're not just imposing that sort of negativity on the audience, because what you're trying to do is help. You know, the goal is to try and in the midst of all this negativity and in the midst of all of this like divisiveness, mm -hmm. it's like I don't want to contribute to that. Everybody's got their own opinions, uh, be that uh, political or, or spiritual or, or social economically, whatever your biases and your agendas are, everybody's got opinions. But my whole thing during this is I'm like, I want to help. I don't want to make things worse. 
So the, the effort that went into trying to make the Christmas one happen, it's just like, dude, just, okay, get it together here. You know what I mean? Like, here's a, here's a Christmas thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's a part of me in my head. that's just like, I just want to go to bed. This sucks. <laughs> this sucks. You know what I mean? So it's difficult and it was difficult, but every time that it finished, I felt like my process creatively was engaged and contributed to by the fact that I realized by interacting with people, even if it is digitally, that I'm not the only one that's dealing with this. You know, it's very easy to be in the situation where you start feeling sorry for yourself too, where you're like, you know, oh, you know, all these things going on and woe is me and all this. But then all of a sudden by doing that, I'm like, oh God, I'm not the only one. It's everybody to some degree, whether or not they believe it or what, has to contend with this as a reality. And there's a sense of unity that comes from that, that after each one of those quarantine shows, as difficult as I found them to be in terms of the setup, when they were done without exception, I was like, I'm glad I did that because it helped me to recognize that, oh, the, the, these are the people and this is the audience and this is not like befalling me as an individual. It's like, we all have to do this. And, and the thing that helps those with depression in a time like this is the awareness that they're not the only one that is fighting, you know? And, yeah. and so to get through these situations and to consciously put effort into saying as grim as this is, I choose, like we said in the beginning of this conversation to be happy or I choose to be positive or whatever the term we, we could adhere to this, you know, crazy situation is that inspires others to do the same. So when I see people doing that, that helps me. And then when I do that, that helps, you know, maybe my, my kids or whatever it's like, so it's an important lesson, I think for musicians, this whole period as well. You know, Devin, we're running out of time here. So I want to make sure I leave you off on a good note and, uh, but not before saying that uh, something positive to point out that you did, uh, you also set up like a GoFundMe following up due to the cancellations of your recent tour last year, which had significant financial implications on you, you know, and the crew. And that comes with the touring life. We all know that. And to this day, you raised, for my listeners who don't know, again, $93,320 on a goal of $50,000. Devin, you're one of the most humble people I've had on the show. Now, I want to set up for this last uh, last part here to finish things off. Like it or not, it seems like a lot of modern day guitarists are taking a lot of cues from Devin Townsend. And back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, I've had friends who work at places like Sam Ash and Guitar Center for a long time. And when I would go visit them, I would see a lot of musicians that came into the store and they wanted to be just like you, like Devin Townsend, household name. Yeah, how can I get a guitar that will make me sound just like his tone? You know, you have, have you heard Epic Cloud? I remember Epic Cloud. That was the new album at that time. It was, it was on every one station. So having, weird to think, man. It's different you know, in Vancouver, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> having said that, having said that, are you even aware you're in that position? And does that put any pressure on you? Um, I'm aware because I'm told, I guess, like by yourself and other people. Um, I heard a quote the other day that I thought was really, really great. It was uh, it was a documentary on a, a lady in, in the UK. And she was talking about her art and she said she only takes credit for the bad ones 
And they said, well, what do you mean by that? He says, well, the idea is that if you're doing it correctly, then it's going through you. So what people recognize as, as truth in somebody's music, if it's actually resonates with somebody on a fundamental level, it's not the person. That's like the collective unconscious. That's if you're doing your job right, you're getting out of the way of your own work. And when you're doing it wrong, you're in the way. You know what I mean? It's like your own trip, your own hangups, yeah. your own for acceptance, all these sorts of things. So when people um, like what I do and, and, and support what I do, and when it's really done well and right, uh, they're participating in the same thing I'm participating in. It's not me. My job is to articulate it, right? And, and so as much as I appreciate reaction videos and, and, and people wanting to be like me, God forbid, I think it's like more so than, than feeling anything, you know, trepidation by that or pride about that. It's just like, okay, well, we're doing our job here. That's the whole goal. And does it play into my process? If I pay attention to it, yeah, in the same way that I think that quote makes sense where you, you can only claim the shitty things that you've done. Um, if you pay attention to the praise and if you pay attention to the criticism, specifically on you know YouTube or, or Blabbermouth or anything like that comes up, um, I think that changes your trip. Like, if if you feel that okay, my bottom line is affected by a certain song that people like, you know, Kingdom or Deadhead or something. The thing that inspired that was not a bottom line. The thing that inspired that was a compulsion. And so if you pay too much attention to people liking it, there's a good chance that you'll try and make more of that. And that's not the place that that came from in the first place. So what makes more sense is to, is to follow the same thing, even though it changes and even though it morphs into something that maybe people don't like as much, that's the same thing that draws people into it to the first place. So it does change your process if you pay attention to it. So I, I hear it, I see it, I appreciate it, but I, I can't pay it too much mind because it's going to change what I do. Right. Yeah. And Hey, we appreciate you for everything you've done in your career. And hopefully, I hopefully sure when you come to Dallas, we can do this interview in person, just, you know, and we'll talk about that time. Hey, remember I did the, the pandemic interview and, who knows when that time will come, but do you have any like last shout outs Is any plugs, anything you want to mention about, you know, Devin Townsend, or maybe the, you, I know you have some work coming up I me mean, as far as like songwriting and new material. Oh yeah. I've whatever you can say, whatever things. you cannot say for my, for my listeners out there. Well, you'll hear soon enough about what I'm working on and I love it. It's, it's really weird and it's super strange and it sounds like 2020 to me. So people may or may not appreciate that. But my question is what's the deal with the behemoth record behind you? Oh, this is actually, uh, this plaque right here is actually very meaningful to me. This was the week I had my first interview ever uh, on Interview Under Fire. It was 2018. They came to Dallas on October 22nd. I actually got to share the stage with Nergal, which was mind-blowing. I mean, and then you had wolves in, the, wolves in the throne room and at the gates at that show. Um, that was just one of the best weeks of my life. And Dallas was the second day. And I got this plaque because we got to share the evening with Nergal and company and Two days later, I interviewed uh, Tatiana from Ginger and Doyle from the Misfits. And awesome. it was one of the most enlightening, enlightening experiences of my life. And of course, I'm going to put this interview up there as one of my favorites out of out there. But um, 
go ahead. I, I think. think, I think what, well, what I was going to say is that it's. I think you're uh, you're an example of of the type of um, uh, 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 participant in music that keeps uh, uh, artists like myself or Nergal or anybody um, constantly uh, uh, inspired because, you know, you exemplify that, that kind of attitude that I was saying, it's like, we need each other, you know, like, like yeah. the, uh, the artists and the audience need each other. And so I think that if there's anything that, that I can finish this interview with is that this whole period, this pandemic and social unrest and all this has given us a, a unique opportunity for reflection that I, I hope a lot of the industry is able to stand back and say, look, this isn't like a hierarchy in the same ways that maybe it had been presented in the past, like again in the eighties, right? This is something that I, live to create and there's people that really appreciate that and it's it's great to have like a real practical example of that and this period with the streaming concerts and and everybody involved with it is is just that so thank you for your efforts and thanks for the interview and you know i hope that everything clears up soon so we can start playing some shows again um everyone who's listening this interview will be up on every major podcast stream out there. Apple, iTunes, you can check us out on interviewonfire.com. Devin Townsend, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You be safe out there and can't wait to do this in person. Can't wait to see you guys on the road. And uh, you take care, my man. Certainly. Thank you for All the right. interview. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Interview Under Fire podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. And please leave a five-star review as that helps us tremendously. And also, if you guys have any questions or comments, you can find us at Interview Under Fire at Facebook or at Instagram. Or you can write us directly at schwag at interviewunderfire.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-G at interviewunderfire.com. Or Rezablade, that's R-E-Z-A-B-L-A-D-E at interviewunderfire.